0: This is an RNZ podcast.
1: Kia Koto. Hello, Aotearoa. I'm Dr Ashley Bloomfield. And this is COVID-19 announcement. Washington.
2: That was one of a series of video ads pumped out late last year to persuade us all not to slack off COVID-19 precautions and bring summer to a halt.
1: It's time to make summer unstoppable. Let's unite against COVID-19. COVID, COVID, announcement.
2: Not all the ads in that campaign had as many beats per minute or bloomfields per minute and the heavy electronic dance vibe there wouldn't be everybody's cup of tea. But the ad industry liked the campaign and last week it was nominated in this year's Primo Annual Awards for New Zealand Advertising in the category of Best Brand Experience and Activation. The yellow and white striped Unite to fight COVID ads, telling us to wash hands and stay home, stay safe and so on, were also nominated in the best billboard category. Another good result for the government and the creators they commissioned. Mind you, there was a big bill for it. Back in July last year, RNZ's Ben Strang revealed it was $16 million at that point. The vast majority of that was destined for two major communications firms who we understand were working on the messaging we all saw throughout the alert levels. The first was Cleminger BBDO. They've worked on some of New Zealand's most successful advertising campaigns in the past. For instance, who can forget the ghost chips commercial that we saw of drunk driving, my understanding is that they helped come up with some of the simple but effective messaging like stay home, save lives, the big yellow alerts we saw online and on the telly, those sorts of things. They had a $3 million contract. And according to Mike Hosking on News Talk ZB, that wasn't money well spent. But do you need to pay $16 million for it? No. Which is what makes this so egregious. But while Mike Hosking is no design guru, Alice Rawsthorne, on the other hand, is. And last June, the UK-based specialist said that New Zealand's information campaign was the most thoughtfully, clearly and sensitively designed in the world.
0: Not only is the quality of the information exceptionally high, the manner in which it is organised and presented is unusually clear, precise, pragmatic and accessible.
2: But just days after that ad awards nomination last week the effectiveness of the entire government COVID communications campaign was being called into question and even condemned in some quarters as wholly inadequate, as we'll hear. So what changed? Well, the latest lockdown prompted by infectious individuals in Auckland who didn't isolate, instead going to work, for a walk and to the gym. Now, those people became the focus of intense media coverage and commentary this past week, not to mention condemnation on social media kicking off a huge blame game in the media. Yet, this was far from the first time that bad breaches have been recorded and reported, yet the media seized on these ones to ask bigger questions this past week.
0: Good evening, Minister. Good evening, Lisa. Is there still a team of five million?
1: Oh,
2: yes, I think
0: there is. You know, I mean, obviously, we've got a situation here where, where people are feeling pretty frustrated about where we're at, and especially when they hear that some of their, some of their fellow members of that team might not have followed all the rules. But we're just to have to have a little bit of perspective here. We've done incredibly well.
2: The Deputy Prime Minister Grant Robertson on Checkpoint last Monday being quizzed by Lisa Owen. and the following morning, TVNZ's Daily News email told subscribers this.
1: Good morning. Here's what you need to know this Tuesday. Cracks have emerged within New Zealand's team of 5 million over the current COVID cluster.
2: On Magic Talk Radio, Peter, just asking questions, Williams said there was no team of 5 million at all and he was sick of hearing about it. And we've been here before. Are we still a team of 5 million? Stuff asked back in August last year, like this. New Zealand's second lockdown is exposing cracks in the country's
1: collective kindness, with fewer Kiwis keen to prioritise public health over the economy,
2: research shows. Well, that research was an analysis of public conversations on social media, which found that four out of five of them were highly emotional and negative about that lockdown, though a lot of conversations on social media can be described like that, even in better times. That same week, the Herald concluded the sense of community during the first lockdown appeared to have somewhat dissolved, according to a poll that the Herald itself had commissioned. But it later conceded the poll didn't show that at all. The Herald accepts that there was strong
1: support for the lockdown and its extension, both in Auckland and the rest of the country.
2: And fast forward to this week, there were more overwrought conclusions being drawn by the media from a darkening public mood over those who were deemed to have led us all into lockdown by failing to follow the rules. For instance, is the Ardern government's kindness mantra beginning to fray, asked the spinoff on Tuesday. Noting that the Prime Minister had taken a harder public line on rule breakers, its political editor Justin Giovannetti said her kindness banner appears increasingly threadbare while Stuff's political editor, Luke Malpass, pulled at the same threads the same day in a piece that included this claim. This week will be the biggest
1: political test of this new Labour government and the greatest test of the government's response to COVID-19 since the original lockdown.
2: A bold call there. That was before we knew for sure whether the current cluster would expand as test results came in. The AmeriCold cluster last year was far bigger, the lockdown of Auckland was longer, and that was long before a vaccine was on the horizon, let alone onshore. Luke Malpass also wrote on Monday that the Prime Minister wanted us to know it's not her government's fault, and Newsroom's political editor Joe Moyer agreed.
0: In an impressive display of washing one's hands of responsibility, the government has blamed these rule-breakers for the shift to Level 3.
2: But while Jacinda Ardern spoke of her frustration, other people with a media platform wanted prosecution, among them Duncan Garner on the AM show. Cinder Ardern was pathetically weak, almost excusing the behaviour on Saturday night.
0: I don't want to create an environment where an individual who has made mistakes here gets so pilloried that no one wants to be tested. Oh, it's nothing to do with testing. It's
2: a wrong message. This will cost business up to a billion dollars. Uh, Ardern should have laid down the law. Instead, we got some drivel worried they were young. It is, of course, the police force, not the Prime Minister, who has the power to prosecute rule-breakers, working under direction from health authorities who put in place public health orders. And Duncan Garner then went on to join the pile-on for Case M, the 21-year-old who worked out instead of staying in after his COVID test. Stick to your bubble, except this 21-year-old did not. Stick it, he said, I'm bigger than COVID. (laughs) outrageous. We need to charge anyone who thumbs their nose and basically gave the one-fingered salute to the entire country. That's what he did. It's economic and social sabotage, in my view. It's treason. Seriously. A seriously long list of crimes there, though treason probably wouldn't stand up in court. And thumbing your nose while giving a one-fingered salute to the country at the same time, also a bit of a mixed message. Now, when the Prime Minister upped her irritation later that day and said that rule-breakers should be called out by their family and acquaintances... Newsroom's Joe Moyer called it a complete change of tune from the top and just one of many mixed messages in recent days.
0: This week is the opportunity to get the train back on the tracks, but giving neighbours a green light to call each other out isn't the answer.
2: Meanwhile on Talk ZB, Talkback host Andrew Dickens asked his audience this. I don't care what language you speak as a first language, if you don't realise that when you go and have a Covid test you're not allowed to go anywhere else, you go straight home until you get a negative, if you don't get that... Uh, well, you know, you deserve to be pinged My, my book. And plenty of his ZB callers want to do worse than ping the young gin-goer. But Andrew Dickens went on to point out that if following the rules and managing the risk is really the issue, the finger of blame could be pointed at other Aucklanders too. Then obviously we have to find everybody who left town at two o'clock in the morning to go to the batch, don't we? And is that you? Give me a call. Do you feel like you've been a bad person? Unsurprisingly, perhaps the lines did not then run hot, with Aucklanders calling up to own up to making a break for the batch. And Andrew Dickens was backed up in this by a freshly minted nominee for New Zealander of the Year, as RNZ's Matthew Tunison reported on Tuesday.
1: On Sunday, microbiologist Susie Wiles tweeted her disappointment at Aucklanders fleeing the city, describing it as a shitty thing to do.
2: they were not feeling the heat as much as people at the centre of the story, including Case L, the young woman who went to work at KFC last week, as News Hub's investigations editor Michael Mora found on Tuesday.
0: It's like not fair on our end that we're getting all this
2: backlash for something that we haven't actually done. And Michael Mora reported that that young woman had been given contradictory advice. The critical point
0: is this. Case L, the KFC worker, says not only did she not receive any information from anyone about the need to self-isolate, her sister Case I received information which is the complete opposite of what officials
2: have claimed. And after that, there were more claims and counterclaims from officials and relatives and union representatives about the message that was given. On the same day the Prime Minister and Covid Response Minister Chris Hipkins reminded employers of their responsibilities, TVNZ's Kristen Hall and Katie Bradford both unearthed employers not paying employees properly who had obediently isolated as they were told. But what seemed to be beyond dispute was the apparently world-class COVID communications hadn't been clear enough and had confused people with terms like casual and casual plus contacts. And for some, it seems the message wasn't getting through at all. A Papatoetoe GP told Stuff that COVID just isn't the biggest thing that's happening in some people's lives where she lived. They may be suffering from mental health issues, struggling to make ends meet, or living in a two-room apartment with ten people, she said. Suddenly, self-isolating at home isn't so simple. And some people tried to make the case via the media that the problem here was that, no matter what the message said, fear of losing income and employment would be greater than the fear of COVID for people who are close to the breadline. Newsroom's Mark Dalder put it this way.
1: You're the sole income earner for your family. You're told to stay home after you went to Kmart at the wrong time. Your job says you won't be paid if you do. The government only offers $588 a week, below the minimum wage and pre-tax.
2: What do you do? The same day, Stuff's Joel Maxwell asked a handful of non-Pākehā people, two politicians and two regular young folks, if they thought the official Covid message was clear enough. The headline, Young People to Government, Your Message is Too Old, Too Stale and Way Too Long, was a bit of a stretch on that sample size and it didn't go down well with ZB's Kerry McIver on Wednesday. He said the government needed to refocus its messaging,
0: taking in youth culture and devices to make it better for young people. Rio said making things tougher was that Māori did not like being told what to do by the government. That's just in our nature. Did not like being told what to do by the government. It is just in our nature. Well, Whiti Kaurio, I can tell you this old white lady doesn't like being told what to do by the government either. I don't think that is particular to Māori. Nobody likes being told what to do just for the
2: sake of it. Well, the government isn't telling people what to do for the sake of it over COVID, of course, but for the sake of public health. And many people, including old white ladies like Kerry McIver, not only want but expect the government to do just that on their behalf. Now, in terms of getting the message across, many in the media made the point that old white ladies, as Kerry McIver herself put it, weren't really the problem. On Morning Report on Tuesday, Corin Dan asked Dr Bloomfield if his ministry had been a little too middle class and middle aged to consider putting COVID messages out on platforms like TikTok. And on Wednesday, he asked the Minister for Social Development and Employment, Carmel Cepeloni, if they urgently now need to change the communications game to reach younger people.
0: Look, I was speaking to Penny Henry yesterday and I know that he's been talking to a number of Um, people who would be perceived as influencers amongst that generation. And he's certainly lining some people up uh, to be able to actually put those messages out.
2: But if the Associate Minister of Health is rounding up influencers at this point, well, isn't it all a bit late for that? Ad man Vaughan Davis has worked on public information and social good campaigns in the past. He's the creator of The Orange Guy, which electoral agencies roll out at every election to get the message across about enrolling and voting. He's also a broadcaster and social media expert. So does he think that this past week has showed that the previously much-praised COVID communications campaign wasn't all it was cracked up to be in the end?
0: I think you've picked up on a really important thing, and that's the impression that people are getting from the media. Uh, What I haven't seen is any evidence that the communication's not working. I mean, there's a difference between failure in compliance and failure in communication. I mean, there's always going to be people who, even though they have received and understood the messages, won't necessarily follow them. You know, it's hard to argue that the the Tamaki's uh, fleeing Auckland or uh, high school students refusing testing didn't know what to expect just they just chose not to do it. So there's a Perhaps a knowledge gap there, and uh, and you know, if I were um, part of this this project with government, one one thing we'd be doing would be uh, you know follow up research to to confirm whether or not people are understanding what they're expected to do, and that may well be happening.
2: Yeah, I saw a website of yours, a picture on it um, where you're quite puffed up that there was a bunch of young people going to the sevens who'd all chosen as their costume uh, orange guy, and you're saying, look, look, this cuts through with young people. Does your communications effort? Um, but you know, looking at that, then I had to think about it. And thought, well, actually, young people going to the sevens all dressed up—that's almost a thing that's come and gone. But does that show you, you know, within two years you have to be ready to readdress it because that platform or that trend might be gone.
0: Yeah, you do. Need, you do need to be in lots of places, and, and uh, you know the places, even the places that um, the COVID comms were a year ago. Uh, you know, the media lang- uh, landscape has changed. You know, people are putting their spending their time in slightly different places to where they were spending them uh, you know a year ago but I think a, a key you know going back to the the kōrero in media over the last week or so there's been a lot of people giving their opinions on what they thought of the comms what people think of comms like this is far less important than whether they work you know we don't ask people if, if the fire alarm sounded nice or if they would rather it had played a tune you know we just check that everyone's evacuated the building and that is the measure of these things we're, we're not here to, you know, to entertain or be loved. We're here to do a job.
2: But if you've got, say, for example, Corin down on Morning Report asking Dr. Bloomfield, um, you know, shouldn't you have put more stuff on TikTok, for instance? Possibly, uh, you've got your your ministry and the officials there um, might be a bit too sort of middle class and middle aged to actually know uh, or we'd be able to instruct people in charge of comms where to put uh, information. I mean, is that a problem that...
0: Yeah, two issues there. Firstly, um, you know, government is is not uh, new to communicating with the entire population. And and health actually is an area where a lot of that goes on. And if you uh, think about a behaviour change campaigns and, and, you know, that's what COVID is, right? It's a behaviour change campaign, uh, drunk driving and done some really effective work. So it's not like this is completely new to them.
2: Mm. Yeah, Matthew Hooton put it a bit more colourfully in Herald uh, on Friday, saying you have uh, multiple degreed, upper-income, monocultural Wellington bureaucrats uh, that don't get what might be a, a, a glorious ethnic, linguistic, educational uh, diversity of South Auckland. Is that Yeah, I, part
0: think, of- I think that's unfair, and I think if we're looking at the comms department of any large government organisation now, you, you're not going to see... Uh, you know, a room full of white middle-class people. You're going to see, you know, not not complete diversity that reflects the community, but uh, you know, this is this is their business, and and they're, they're not stupid, and they you know they they staff their departments with people who understand how to do this stuff.
2: Mm. And just finally, Vaughan, one thing we heard people say it was regrettable and un- unfortunate that the people at the centre of these clusters suffered a kind of online pile uh, but but in the end isn't that in itself quite an effective tool? I mean, if, if people are worried that people were getting complacent or, or not getting messages, young younger folks particularly engaging on social media, not not mainstream or news media, and, I mean, if they're all aware via social media that people who ended up at the heart of this cluster for not following the rules were getting um, a pile on, isn't it actually pretty effective that they find out about that and don't want to be in that position themselves?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in in the retail or or financial space, which is not completely disconnected from behaviour change, research tells us consistently that people value the opinions of their friends far higher than the opinions of experts, which in turn they value far higher than the opinions of brands themselves. And the second thing is to enable that. You know, we give people the tools, we give people the language, we give people the catchphrases they need to do that. And, you know, going back to the drink driving uh, stuff we are talking about, crash here or uh, I'm internalising a complicated situation or Monique thinks you're dumb. You know, those catchphrases have done well, become part of language, become part of our discourse, and we end up being the advertising and, and when we are the advertising, when we are the message, it's going to be far more potent, far more effective than anything we see on TV, YouTube or TikTok. I guarantee there'll be ongoing research about whether or not the comms work and, and you're quite right. It's whether or not people are understanding and taking the actions and you don't get that by talk back.
2: That was broadcaster and social media expert Vaughan Davis, also the owner of the ad agency The Goat Farm. And he was talking to me there about criticism of the national COVID communications campaign and the week that it was shortlisted for major national ad awards.